In the name of the one whose love liberates, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Whenever the Bible foregrounds characters from the margins, we can be pretty sure the mysterious reign of God is drawing near. Divine tendencies often upend our cherished values and priorities as God orchestrates the movement of people from the periphery and places them smack in the middle of our lives. These lowly ones in scripture seldom seek to be agents of grace. Even so, their witness points us to God's inbreaking, reorienting individuals, communities, and entire nations who have pledged allegiance to principalities and powers that defy God's dream for the world. Today's text from 2 Kings introduces us to two such persons. Naaman, a Syrian soldier with leprous skin, and his unnamed household servant, a young girl captured on one of Naaman's military raids, a dangerous foreigner with a stigmatizing health condition, a young woman kidnapped and enslaved by her ethnic enemy. What do they reveal of God's dreams for human flourishing? Well, probably a lot more than I'm smart enough to see, but one thing I do notice is that these characters invite us to recognize that we cannot flourish in human community until healing is known by all of us together. In this story, a girl who's been stripped of her personal rights channels compassion, pointing her captor to the solution for his own suffering her enigmatic choice to see his humanity, to bear his burden and help him, unleashes unexpected grace. When it comes to the men in this story, though, the kings and soldiers, the prophets and their assistants, their strategies contrast clearly with the way this young girl stands in the world. No matter how you parse their behavior, there's a whole lot of pride, fear, and greed all up in there. But this healing journey that Naaman undertakes, thanks to his servant girl's concern for his well-being, it culminates in Naaman's laying down his money, his pride and privilege, and humbling himself in a public ritual of belonging, washing in the muddy Jordan seven times. Aren't you glad we only splash with scented water thrice? in our baptismal rites of incorporation. I suppose it was hard for Naaman, as it would be for any of us, to squish down there into the muck. But when Naaman does, he's enfolded with healing power no pristine Damascus waters ever offered. Naaman returns to his homeland a changed man, we don't get the full extent of the story in today's reading. Gotta love the lectionary. But you can go back to Kings and read that more expansive pericope all the way to its conclusion. If you do, you'll notice relational shifts between Israel and Aram that clearly start off flowing from Naaman's Jordan encounter. 
Naaman even carries back dirt from the land of Israel, a sign and symbol of his having pledged himself to Adonai, the one true God who made Naaman well when the gods of Aram could not. Later, at the very conclusion of that story, the narrator observes in 2 Kings 6.23 that the Arameans no longer came raiding into the land of Israel. Well, it's been quite a week to contemplate this narrative. I don't know what's been on y'all's minds, but I've been wondering an awful lot about what wisdom this story could hold for us as we live through a time that sometimes has seemed as if overnight raids were being launched by domestic powers and principalities weaponizing religion against the young women of this nation. Dragging them into the center of our troubled republic feels a bit fraught, not just up here in the pulpit, but in our lives in this season. Just as it takes a lot of guts to peer into this story and dare to ask what on earth the Holy Spirit might want us to see, let alone to say, as we attend to the deep pain of this country, especially as structural inequities in our common life have recently been bolstered by the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Still, I believe God intends for all of us to know the healing of true belonging, that unity that only comes as we love one another with pure affection, the way our collect for the day points up for our praying. And what good are professions of unity if they don't bring us into honest contact with one another? It seems like Christians of all persuasions right now are struggling with a crisis of curiosity. Are we even wondering about the hurt that we are carrying in our respective hearts? Are we willing to attend to the grief God surely feels over our societal disunity and disease? If we fancy ourselves as bearers of compassion's balm in the name of this risen one who heals every ill, there is no such thing as curiosity adjacent. Love risks all, or nothing, in the end. This weekend, we celebrate lofty ideals of a nation that cherishes liberty and justice for all. As we gather with our friends and families and joyful spaces across this city, I pray that we will take time to pray for the healing that we will need to flourish all together. Especially after this most recent hit on the health and well-being of a goodly number of our citizens. You know, this morning I've been picturing those storied images of Betsy Ross. I was a kid who liked to play with sewing cards when I was young and going to Smithsonian and seeing those those enshrined, preserved stars and stripes that she was said to have stitched together in her sewing circle in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Those have been coming to mind for me as I think about that iconic symbol of our shared unity 
and commitment to human flourishing, the one that is hoisted high above our communities all across this nation. Maybe in the days to come, whenever we see it, we will stop and pray for this nation, for its president, for the Congress and its courts, for all who occupy seats of power and attempt to serve the cause of justice. Most of all, I pray that we will hold in our hearts the people of this nation, all of them, who love everything it stands for and who have been harmed by many of the policies and laws of this fair yet wounded land. As a proud American, I am grateful to all who have given their lives in service to our communal project to build a world where we can live in love together. I also celebrate foremothers who long have labored on the periphery, surmounting obstacles in order to bring their gifts to contribute, to belong to this land of promise. Those gifts came home for me this week as I participated in a virtual gathering to celebrate and financially sustain the project of two female filmmakers, Margot Guernsey and Nikki Bramley, whose documentary, Labors of Love, bear witness to the time in our own Episcopal Church history when the presence of women at the altar was vehemently resisted. I was moved deeply by that sneak peek they shared of their film, which lifts up the quote-unquote irregular witness of those Philadelphia 11, the first women ordained as priests in the Episcopal Church in 1974, two full years before General Convention would affirm and authorize the ordination of women to the priesthood in our tradition. One of the most jarring parts of their previewed footage featured an impassioned female who insisted women were not of the proper essence, she meant male, to be worthy to consecrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. You probably can guess I didn't miss my chance to contribute to this worthy project. As one of the 7,969 women who stand on the shoulders of these four mothers and have since been ordained to priesthood in the Episcopal Church, I embraced this momentous invitation with joy. As did the men who joined us on Zoom that night, bearing witness to the ways their lives also have been blessed, enlarged, not diminished, by the ministry of women serving as priests in Christ's church. Praise the Lord for American women and men who have shaped this country and all its traditions for the better through their expansive witness to God's liberating love. Which brings us to another celebrated Episcopalian whom I would be remiss not to name, Blessed Polly Murray, the first African-American woman, woman to be ordained as a priest in our denomination, whose feast day is commemorated on July 1st. Friday, John Meacham spotlighted the Reverend Dr. Murray in his Reflections of History podcast, and I was touched by Murray's powerful words. She said, if one could characterize in a single phrase the contribution of black women to America, I think it would be survival with dignity against incredible odds. 
along with the Philadelphia 11, God drew the dignified Murray against incredible odds into the center of our Eucharistic life and commissioned these women, one and all, as witnesses to the gospel, even in the face of public disapproval and disdain. Which is why I can't wait to see the post-production budget of this film about them and their ministries fully funded so that the legacy of these courageous Americans can feature on the festival circuit next year and be rolled out to wider audiences in 2024 in time to mark the 50th anniversary of the ordination of women in the Episcopal Church. God's dreams for the world upend our lives in ways we cannot comprehend. They transform us with a love that defies human understanding. Like the enslaved girl from Israel, whose compassion led to Naaman's healing, we too find ourselves bound together, friends and frenemies, woven into a destiny with flourishing potential only God can design. Whether it emanates from the center or envelops our life from the periphery, this sacred unity is our heritage as people who are pledged to Christ and to one another. His is the only justice that could ever heal us, liberating all of us to know God's freedom, peace, and joy. Amen. <laughs>